1: Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's phenomenal episode, I got to have a friend, Mr. Frank Forensic. He is a legend in this Movement around movement, how to reinhabit our bodies. He studied at Stanford University, studied human biology, neuroscience, written several books, one of which Exuberant Animal, originally got turned on to that by Mr. Ido Portal uh, several years ago. Love that book. Highly recommend checking it out. And uh, this conversation was a good one. We get into some of these correlations or connections of how our broader community impacts our, impacts our physical body, uh, get into the effects of sound, how that affects our structure, um, deep practice, the hows and the whys and that, uh, really good stuff. So I hope you guys
0: absolutely enjoy. Here is a little clip. You know, if the earth hurts, we hurt with it. You know, whatever is happening to the biosphere is ref- reflected in our bodies. Thank you so kindly for
1: jumping on the website, AlignTherapy.com. If you feel called to that guy, A L I G N Therapy.com. On there, you will find the show notes for this and the rest of the episodes, and you can start the five-day movement challenge. Start integrating better movement into everything you do. See so me strong, flexible, and all of your heart's desires will end up manifesting in front of your face. Uh, guarantee. We got a, some quotes from. Marcus Aurelius to start, Roman Emperor. A man's life is what his thoughts make of it. Another one I wrote down. I'm not I didn't write who wrote it, sadly. Greatest discovery of my generation. Human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. Bam. Pretty cool stuff. This idea of as we cultivate the clarity of our vision that uh, I think creates the space for us to, to build whatever it is that we can visualize a lot of f- smart folks out there get into uh, if we can visualize see something clearly then that sets the stage to to build it if we don't start from that point of actually seeing the thing then it, I think it's tough to, tough to build from there thanks so much for reviews on iTunes if you leave us a review and read it on the show we will send you out a box of something from it. send you some mouth and brain or something like that uh, Fit, I love this podcast five stars I've been listening to Aaron's podcast for over a year now and I've found I can always come back to it and trust that the information is relevant informative and fun they go on to say uh, other super kind things hit us message at align podcast and we'll send you out some some shite from on it it's gonna be delicious um I think that might be good I'm teaching a free workshop Uh, this Thursday, if you guys are in Venice at Bulletproof Labs, you can come down and get yourself, uh, they're giving away $100 gift certificates as well to do some biohacking stuff out there, get your neurofeedback or chemo or chemo not (laughs) they're not chemo (laughs) they're gonna do uh they do cold water thermogenesis i don't think they do chemo hopefully um really good stuff i hope you guys enjoy we are gonna talk movement eat lots of mct oil and get all brainy buzzed up and zip around bulletproof lab so come on out uh also PaleoFX is going down in the end of april and you can get yourself tickets at com slash podcast on the show notes page there we got tickets for sale and i'll be teaching dr mercola jj virgin all sorts of really great people are gonna be out there <sighs> i think that's good thank you guys so much for tuning in I hope you are having an absolutely splendid Monday, and uh, here we go, back to the show. Oh, this is recorded live in uh, Seattle at Ancestral Health Symposium, so that's where me and Mr. Frank recorded it. All right, here we go. Align Podcast. What are you writing
0: about? Oh, I continuing to write about the environment and, you know, the, ch- the planetary emergency that we're in right now and how health relates to that. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the body-Earth connection, if you will, hmm. that that's something that really fascinates me. What does so, that look like? Well, you know, there's, there's been this, this whole field of eco-psychology and this belief that you know, If the earth hurts, we hurt with it. You know, we, whatever is happening to the biosphere is ref- reflected in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And whether that's a direct connection or an indirect connection, I don't think it matters too much. I think the epidemics of depression and stress and anxiety, a lot of that can be traced back to the fact that we don't believe that the natural world is, is healthy anymore Mm. and and that we are the agents of destruction. It it puts us in this horrible state of, of dissonance where we are the agents of our own destruction because of that. And so I think that that's the fundamental problem. That, you know, we have to craft a new relationship to our bodies, but also a new relationship to nature and to each other. Yeah. And that, that's, for me, that's the most interesting thing.
1: Yeah. People can look up, like, like Gaia theory. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That- the world as a living organism. Yeah. And that organism now is, um, diseased, yeah. you know, is suffering this inflammation.
1: So what would that make humans? Are humans a parasite or a well, cancer? Or
0: well, that, right, yeah. Blood? You, know, you hear like more that. and more of that in the in the uh, cultural conversation now. It's like, we are the asteroid. We are the cancer on the earth. We are the inflammation. We are a, a planetary weed. You hear all these things, and that is... Incredibly challenging to our sense of who we are. And it's never been like that before. I mean, humanity has always faced challenges, but this one seems like to be a a whole new order of challenge. So it's inevitable that that would be reflected in our bodies.
1: Yeah. Could it be that. uh, Nora! Nora Gagatis! Welcome. We have to, uh, we're just talking about very similar discussions that you and I would. Talk about as far as the world, and are we a parasite or are we a? Uh, <coughs> yeah, we suck. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I am not sure about it. We just walk in the yeah, you're your a part of the oh, thing. You're oh a part of the thing. Everybody fun. should tune into the previous goddess episode, and there will be a coming, another one coming soon. Um, yeah, so that's a thing that challenges me, I guess. Is you know, I kind of feel more not so much that we are a parasite or a cancer, but more that we are kind of like a ship that has gone askew, and we can redirect it, whereas cancer is like purely malicious.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I feel like it, like there is a chance, it's just kind of, it's like a directional change.
0: Right. You know? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's important to get the metaphor right, right. and that's what we're <laughs> struggling with right now. So many people, well, number one, most people are in denial right off the bat, so they're not struggling. Consciously with it, but for people like us, we're we're saying, who are we? What's our identity as a species? What metaphor are we going to choose that will help us navigate this thing? Yeah, and that's what we're we're up against. So, what
1: metaphor do you use? What feels the best for you? I'm gonna sit over here in case people want to go have like the whole hallway to themselves. We're so, so we're currently recording in front of this beautiful cathedral place <laughs> inside of the hallway of Ancestral Health Symposium in Seattle and uh so if you hear some random stuff in the background that's what's happening but yeah so what metaphor feels appropriate for you What feels
0: well just as being a health and body professional that's the one that comes most easily to mind and and i think cancer is is a pretty apt metaphor because it's a dis dysregulation it's a, a failure of regulation in growth, and that's what we see in the human population. So, uh, I know that sounds really horrible and ominous, but it's it's kind of an inevitable metaphor, and we, we do need some sort of counter to what we're doing, counter to our growth. Yeah. And um, But part of it's cultural, you know, we, uh, it, not every culture has impacted the earth the way we do. And other cultures have found ways to live in harmony with the planet. And that's, that's one thing I really keep in mind, is that it, it, these things aren't inevitable. If we change the culture, we can change our relationship to the world. Mm. And this is where artists and writers and, right. and thinkers are so essential right now, is these are the people who will help us change our relationship to the planet. So, um, there's a book yeah.
1: called Master and His Emissary. Have you ever heard of oh, that one?
0: Totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. Horton. Yeah. Oh, I think so, too. And that's, uh, you know, for our listeners, that's, um, a really interesting discussion of left brain, right brain, and how the the author, I can't remember, McGillchrist is yeah. his name. And he is a, a psychotherapist who had traced the idea that maybe the left hemisphere of the brain has become dominant yep. and created Western civilization. And he makes a really good case. So from his point of view, the, the challenge then is to integrate more right hemisphere thinking, more right hemisphere ideas into our culture to try and balance things out. And I, I, I think that sounds right to me.
1: How does one start thinking that way and maybe starting making changes on a personal community, et cetera, et cetera level.
0: Right. And I think the key concept there is uh, participation versus not participating. So the left hemisphere scientific view of the world is non-participating consciousness. In other words, the thing to be studied is an object, and the scientist is separate from that object and studies the object in isolation. And that's what the left hemisphere is really good at. But the right hemisphere is more participatory. It's getting involved, getting involved in the experience of being in the world. And of course that metaphor is great because the experience of being involved in politics, the experience involved in um, community. So engagement.
1: Yeah, I go through this. I've had this conversation a lot around the balance between observation and participation. You know, so we are bred as whatever fill-in-the-blank TV-watching culture you live in mm-hmm. as observers. Right. You know, so you watch America's Got Talent or you know, She Can Dance or whatever the the they're <laughs> called, you know, or Game of Thrones. And you see people do stuff. Mm-hmm right and then when that you go to the dance party whatever it may be all of a sudden you've literally you may not realize it but you've trained yourself into this box of watching and waiting for somebody else to do stuff
0: right right (laughs) right exactly we have this we have this expectation that we will be entertained and that becomes our standard by which everything else is measured so kids go to school and the teacher isn't entertaining and they think well you know that's the fault of the teacher but no it's really we've been conditioned by television to expect entertainment Mm. and you know, that's why Trump won, because he was kind of entertaining. entertaining. Yeah. And it's, um, that's a pretty unique cultural spin on the human experience. You know, it wasn't that way before yeah. TV.
1: I think it's really fascinating the concept that uh, through integrating our physical body, through something like, say, painting, or maybe even stepping it up and painting with your left hand, yeah, right, right. And so starting to activate more of like, and then McGill Christ talks about it, it's like there's never there's no such thing as like full separation. Mm-hmm. They're always working mm-hmm. in tandem, but kind of sort of, and just for the sake of the metaphor, let's say, right, you know, through integrating that other part of your body, it starts integrating more this maybe creative side of yourself, right, and then the spillover of that into. How that could affect you know the global situation Mm -hmm. it's a really big jump yes you know can we kind of dig into a little bit of like fill in some gaps there
0: well uh, for me it always comes down to balance and I can really appreciate that left hemisphere, non participatory side of things. And in fact, we see a lot of that here at AHS, where people give a, a PhD level presentation. It's pretty objectified, pretty rational. And I, I can totally see value in that. But there, it's got to be balanced by a participatory thing on the other side. And that's where I really encourage people to keep the humanities alive. And that means. Um, dance, poetry, literature, art, all of those things are essential for what we do and to um, keep the rational mind (laughs) on a leash. Yeah, it's the survival mind. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so being in, like, we're stuck in that kind of, like, fight, flight, keep your head above water, survive place. Right. It's really hard to be in that place when you're painting a beautiful picture. Yeah, yeah. So if you can make that leap, of being absorbed by the picture, absorbed by the dance, absorbed by the song, then it does have these direct physiological consequences or effects. Right, right. You know, is there any kind of like t- takeaway or something uh, where people could start with that type of thing? I, I really like the idea of activating parts of your body to activate the way that you perceive the mm-hmm. world around mm-hmm. you. You know.
0: Right. Right, and the, the language of the body is experience. And we need to provide those experiences, as trainers and coaches and teachers, provide those, those experiences for people, so that they can, we can access their bodies through experience. We're, we're such a cognitive culture. We're so top-down, and we have this belief that uh, the brain controls the body exclusively. But the flow is bi-directional. It goes the other way too. The body controls the brain. Yeah. So we gotta give the body those experiences that are immersive and participatory. Um, but underlying all of that, and our ability to, to engage is our relationship with time. And for me, this, this is crucial because if, if we've got a, a dysfunctional relationship with time, then we're sunk. Because time becomes the master, and then we're always in a hurry. And when we're always in a hurry, then we can't engage the body and participate as fully in those kinds of experiences that we're looking for. Mm. So that's what, you know, we talk about paleo, we talk about native cultures and that sort of thing. They had a c- totally different relationship with time than we do. And for them, time was elastic, time was... Organic time was cyclical. Time was not something that really was wasted. It was something w- that was lived. So, if we can crack that code, <laughs> the, the experience of time will do a lot better, I think. Yeah. Right. It's
1: fascinating how uh, your education or even your language affects your perception of your reality. Mm-hmm. You know, so you see, uh, what is it? I think it's, is it? Vietnam. Let's call it Vietnam. We can look it up, but uh, they don't use the subjunctive form of language. Meaning, if I had been there, I would have done that. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't exist. It's it's okay. Like there's no looking back at what would you have done if this was the case. It's just not a part of the language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So all of a sudden there's not as much reflection of like, oh man, like if only I had. Right, right. It's just not a part of the culture. (laughs) You know, this is same similar thing with colors. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the color for a color between red and blue or whatever, like if you have a specific name for that color, then you see that color everywhere. But if you don't have the name, it just you just don't see it it's either a red or a blue or whatever right so the way that our our educational system and our you know our
0: words all that it Mm -hmm. literally forms the way that we perceive the world absolutely yeah yeah that's another bi-directional thing because you look at the style of speaking and language over the years if you look at some of the earliest written texts they're primarily poetry and metaphor yeah. and mythology. Homer, uh, the Iliad, the Bible, all of these things filled with metaphor and poetry. Right. People used to sing. People don't sing anymore. People talk like nonfiction writers now. Yeah. And it's all about facts and evidence and sequence and logic. And we mm-hmm. train our kids that way. So uh, something very important, I think, has been lost over the last two or 3,000 years so maybe we need to be a little bit more artistic in our our way of speak in and live in
1: yeah Uh. yeah the uh so physically you teach people games and you teach people how to how to uh i'm going to take your class here in a couple hours i'm really excited to to check it out but so teaching people kind of how to how to perceive their bodies and their movement maybe a little bit different than when they would have gotten out of like a Cybex machine at the, at the gym. <laughs> right. <You know. laughs> right. Uh,
0: yes, we, we do a lot of games and it, it is in part play-based, which is great, but there's also a real martial art component to it. And for me, one of the big objectives, besides connecting with the body, is connecting with other people. And that's why we do the games we do the movements that put people in direct physical contact with one another and that's a pretty exciting thing to do because you don't see it in a typical fitness class you know, we're a typical fitness class or a typical yoga class. Everybody's got their own little space, and it's all marked out. It's almost like a, a grid of rows and columns uh, on the industrial model, you know. But uh, for us, we prefer a circle, and the idea is to develop a sense of rapport with your partners and a sense of rapport with your body. Mm. And uh, when it works, it's just fantastic. Yeah, no. and so it's it's. I think it's interesting the I- the
1: idea, like you're saying, of like the master and the emis- emissary, and and or and its emissary, and uh, how keep going with the left right hemisphere thing. Like the left hemisphere is more like the analytical, linear, right. get her done type side. Right, right. Right hemisphere, like let's dance and move. <laughs> and let's <laughs> splash some color on that wall. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> and it, it it's really interesting coming from that that idea how. You mentioned previously, like, culture was more expressive and artistic. Mm -hmm. And as the ship has kind of been changed directions somehow towards more like maybe survival, whatever, reality, you're seeing that same thing happen with our movement practice. Yeah, yeah. You know, so as we're thinking in this different, more linear, more being dominated by that left side, the same thing happens with our isolating ourselves in the box as we're at the movement house, the gym, right. whatever. Right, yeah. It's one thing, I think.
0: Yeah, and machine training is a perfect example of that. I mean, the, it's sort of a spreadsheet culture yeah. that we live in now, and we graph and log our movements, and we have an app on the phone that tells us you know, how many reps to do, and that sort of thing is all very logical and very linear, and it's, um, ultimately, I find that m- incredibly boring. people do need sets and reps to develop skills there's that's without question but there's an experiential side of it too and we have to keep that in mind
1: so we're reaffirming this kind of cognitive block through our reps and sets on the sidebacks machine yeah we're kind of reinforcing the walls right right
0: i yeah that's a good way to put it Yeah. yeah Yeah, I like that. And that's why, you know, I used to go to a a typical corporate gym from time to time, and I I just can't do it anymore. I I just don't find it. Plus, it's an alien environment anyway. I mean, the the music's on really loud, and so you've got that sort of audio or acoustic uh, stimulus that's completely abnormal, and it's there to stimulate people, which I guess it kind of does, but it's... um, it's abnormal i mean our environment's really noisy anyway so why would you add another layer of stress on top of it Mm -hmm. i don't see why and it just tells you well we we've got these really boring movements and therefore we need to motivate people to do the movements. so let's turn the music up why not have better movements to start with what's what's been the last
1: most recent thing that's kind of been exciting for you as far as learning about what other cultures are doing in the realm of of the way that they're thinking, the way that they're moving, the way that, that that's something that you put you spend quite a bit of time studying or have studied, or what are you studying anyway? If that's <laughs> not the thing you're getting into, what the <laughs> heck? Are
0: you, what are you What are you about? Right. Well, I made those trips to Africa, and I, I went out with the Bushmen uh, briefly. I w- I didn't do any big study of the Bushmen, but I did have some time with them, and that was that was really exciting. Got to see how they move, and uh, of course, uh, you know, they weren't barefoot they were in thin sandals were they tires uh yeah i think so and whatever they could get from nairobi you know yeah so uh, there was that movement and i was able to watch them hunt and see their postures and how they and they were um, they weren't really into exercise you know They, they were just doing enough movement they were physically very conservative and that's a point that Jared Diamond makes in one of his books about, uh, I think it was called The Day Before Yesterday. Okay. And he says in his time with Native people, he noticed that they're really conservative physically. Yeah. They aren't into doing stunts or radical things with their body because they they can't go to the doctor. They can't go to a hospital if they s- turn an ankle or something. You know, they... they Conserve their resources for hunting and for for you know fun things around camp, mm. but uh, they they find what we do to be really pretty astounding. <laughs>
1: I want to take a quick moment and thank our sponsor, Health IQ, for supporting this podcast. Health IQ is a life insurance company, not just any life insurance company. They focus their efforts towards people that are living healthy lifestyles. If you are a runner, cyclist, weightlifter, or just generally paying attention to the quality of food that you're eating, you should not be paying the same rate for life insurance. So you can jump on to Health IQ, like the letters IQ.com slash align to support the show and see if you qualify for one of their plans. They are one of the fastest growing life insurance companies with over $5 billion in coverage and they save their customers up to 33% on their plans. As I mentioned, the reason they can do this is because they take into account the quality of life that you lead. If you're investing in your health, you should be acknowledged for that in your life insurance policy. It's exactly what Health IQ does for you. So see if you qualify, jump onto healthiq.com slash align. Health IQ is in the letters IQ dot com slash line. Here we go back to the show. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that—the the idea of of like um, you know a leopard or some type of critter running around the the jungle. Exactly. When they go to start hunting, the opposite, the prey, it, there's no warm up. There's no hamstring, dynamic hip, whatever yeah, bullshit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, and we can integrate that into our lifestyle as as modern humans. Right. I, I feel we just need to like I was mentioning before, break down, figure out, we've kind of broken ourselves in a sense, Mm -hmm. you know, so we need to come back to the fundamentals, figure out this movement vocabulary in the first place. Right. And then just move that way, (laughs) you know, but that's obviously just saying that that's like a huge broad thing to say, but do you have any kind of, does that sound crazy? Is that something? Oh
0: no, no, that's absolutely right. Um, And one of the problems is that we're so, adaptable and so flexible and so multi-capable when it comes to movement that I think we tend to lose sight of what's primal and original to us. So, for example, I think sports are a real double-edged sword in that respect because there's so many different sports out there that we can play, and we teach young kids to play this sport or that sport, and it's, it's, it's like a buffet of all these different kinds of movements that kids do. But we don't teach them original, primal, physical education. And that, I think, is a mistake. I think we should stick with the fundamentals and then introduce the sports later on, maybe w- in high school or something. But um, we start way too young with with sports. So um, it'd be nice if we could um, have the fundamentals. Can we on. define
1: fundamentals? Because well, that's, I think, when it gets.
0: Well, I, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I think we can. Movement that's terrain appropriate, appropriate to your habitat that you're living in, and that, that's, a, that's a tough one because most of us now live in these urban habitats, but take your nearest natural habitat and start adapting your body to that, I think, is key. So walking, running, hopping, skipping, jumping, locomotion in habitat, that's the, that's the place to begin.
1: So if your habitat is, uh, you know, somewhere, say, like New York City and it's high heels and, you know, all that, is there some argument that maybe that is a certain degree of fitness?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you could make that argument, and, and I think you would be right. You would need to adapt to that. Um, but you can't forget the original terrain challenges that we've had walking on uneven ground that is a diverse terrain of dirt and rocks and sticks and sand and mud that kind of thing that's that diversity of terrain we're really good at dealing with that yeah that's that's in our nature but if you go to a mono a monoculture of terrain challenge then um, you can only do so much with that before you get hurt
1: yeah my devil's advocate side of my own question with that is, is I think that we have one kind of interesting thing that you might have you might have bumped into is is uh you heard a correlation between wearing high heels and various different uh, psychological disorders like like schizophrenia no that intrigues me yeah look it up um I mean I'm not saying this is the case please don't send me any like you know <laughs> ferocious <laughs> emails about it but just look it up um, but from what I read and, and understand, through that dorsiflexion, flexion, that range of motion with right. the ankle joint, as you do that, that's, that that pump is wired. For one thing, it moves lymph and blood and venous flow out of your legs. But also neurologically, that's connected to what they call the dopaminergic system, right, so your right. body's release of dopamine and, and probably various other different neurotransmitters. Right. And so you your movement through these various contours like you're like you're mentioning is kind of like you playing your instrument. Yep. Right. So if all if you have this huge grand k- piano and you just keep playing these two little keys over and over again. Right. Eventually your physiology says,
0: Fuck <laughs> <laughs> come on. Yeah. yeah. Play a song. Yeah. <laughs> No, that sounds right to me. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is there is
1: there any um, – so the fundamentals, is there any other ones to think about? Is, so, so I like the contoured, various different contours. So it's, uh, having that adaptation, right. adaptability, to be able to be – you get dropped in any environment, cool, sweet. Right. Because I have my fundamentals sorted out. I can, I can appropriate myself to this. I can situate myself in this. Right. Is there
0: anything else – well, to that you would add climbing, um, especially non, non sport climbing. In other words, um, climbing at a, a modest level of difficulty, which is what you would do in a paleo environment. You wouldn't do, you know, five twelve rock climbing, right. um, but easy scrambling. climbing, scrambling, climbing trees, climbing easy rocks, that kind of thing it's got to be right because it's so much fun it's so so pleasurable and we are really good at it so I think that's a good one and then object play medicine balls are fantastic just because it's a a prototypical object and you know we live in a world of free weights the the objects in our world are mostly untethered they're not machines Mm. Um, so medicine balls are perfect for that Mm. and I find them to be, uh, you know, the various figure-eight shapes and the arcs and the movements you can do with a med ball, fantastic.
1: Yeah. Have you explored, like, developmental patterns of infants and stuff like that at all? Like, going from laying on your back to rolling over to your side, which kind of starts that pattern of Mm -hmm. contralateral motion, like walking, gait pattern?
0: Right. Yeah, I have a little experience with that. I I wouldn't call myself an expert in that at all, but uh, it makes perfect sense yeah you know, the, the body starts young and it starts coming up with a, the very first movement impulses are bound to be the most um, influential yeah. down the road yeah,
1: yeah and so I, I feel as though that those kind of primary movement patterns that's us being played by our nature mm-hmm. you know and we're played by our nature it's you know it's it's fairly probably pretty good Right, so when you see the the like, a watch a wolf just be a wolf. Right. It just does it perfect. It wolfs perfectly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so we kind of do that as babies, but then we get put in car seats, and it's like, oh, okay, now now we have this like new prefrontal cortex kind of like intellectual concept right. that now is being imposed on this what was a perfect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so. Is, it, is there, like, a breaking point? Is there any kind of thing that you can point out as far as, like, children? Like, is there a, a time in childhood that's like, oh, that's where we start kind of getting funny?
0: Well, I've heard some people say, well, it's the, the moment they start wearing shoes. Yep. And, yeah, you can make that case. And But I think it's cumulative. You know, too much time in chairs, obviously, is a problem. And too much time in cars and then too much time on screen. Um, add all those things together and you've got somebody who's in um, Amy Cuddy, uh you may re- remember that name. Absolutely. She, yeah, yeah. She talks about this epidemic of flexion. You know, the she calls it the eye posture and that's just this this flex position where you're at a desk looking at a screen and you're doing that for many hours a day. Yep. Um, obviously, I mean, you don't have to really know that much about the body to know that that's going to be a problem later on. And it represents depression. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. So, but yeah, talking about animals, I've got this two-year-old Labrador retriever, and he he's perfectly fit. He's um, the best athlete I've ever seen. And, you know, I've tried to coach him. I've tried to train him, and it doesn't matter. You know, he he knows how to move his body with no training whatsoever except for his play experience and his retrieving experience, and that's all he's needed. Now, if I put him in an alien environment for a while, I would maybe have to rehab him at some point, but he's got a good memory, and so I think he'd bounce back really fast. Yeah, so yeah. dogs get sick too. If, yeah.
1: the, if, the, if the owner's sick, you'll see the dogs start getting kind of – yeah you know it is it is a reflection i think it's really fascinating that that correlation of like how do we start you know working with the children i, I think that children they're just mirroring their parents right you right. know so it, if you give a shit about your children you need to give a shit about yourself
0: yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And it's, it, it even goes beyond the children. I think these things are intergenerational. Mm. I think that they have ripple effects that go beyond not just your kids, but their children and, and so on down the line. And what I fear is that our sense of physicality and healthy movement is becoming endangered. Yeah. And that's, that's not trivial. I mean, this is like losing uh megafauna, you know this is like endangered species but maybe even worse because if we lose our sense of physicality our descendants are going to be left with this gaping hole in their experience so it's not just about body beautiful and health and fitness for me you know it's it's not that it's a responsibility that we have to our descendants and it's um that's why i think you know, us as as trainers and coaches and teachers, yeah, we're fulfilling a really important role to do that.
1: That's right. I've never heard the the loss of our movement capacity as being analogous to the loss of of like a like a species in a yeah, sense. It's like yeah. a species of human. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like we're like the whatever. Yeah, huh. So it's like we were Homo sapien. You know, now it's like, oh, Dan Vitalis has something he calls, like, homo sapien fragilis or something yeah, like or that. Yeah, domesticus. Domesticus, or yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah. And that, that, that all makes sense. You know, Carl Jung used to talk about um, the collective unconscious. And uh, for him, the the archetypes, these this, these symbols, would populate the collective unconscious. And so the whole species would share in this experience. and. I think he was really on to something but physicality is part of that too that if we become too sedentary and too inactive I think the content of our collective unconscious is going to change over time Mm. and that's that's a really dangerous thing I mean it's our our sanity is in jeopardy right now, I think, yeah. as a species. You know, lose contact with nature, lose contact with the body. These are the things that keep us alive and keep us sane, too.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's huge, man. Yeah. So something like back to coming back around, like, would painting a picture, forcing yourself to play the flute, learning to sing a song, will that make you a better athlete? slash better i think the better thinker and better emotional person seems like a given but will it make you a better athlete will it make you more proprioceptive will it make you myelinate more effectively whatever
0: <laughs> 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 maybe yeah it might, it might give you a little edge you know somewhere um and but i, I think the meat and potatoes on uh becoming a better athlete is of course practicing your sport a lot and doing the sets and reps that you need to do yeah that's really important and then uh, everything else after that is is worth a try yeah um but um yeah for the human experience all that stuff is is really vital
1: well so i think that the the kind of more back end and we'll wrap up here pretty soon but but uh the back-end effect of something like singing the song or playing the drum or or painting the picture is it's like okay cool it's probably not going to make your specific tennis stroke no. more effective but it will have a deeper effect on your physiology in the sense of making you enjoy your life yeah yeah it'll make you feel a little bit more of this like joie de vivre type sensation right. which all of a sudden you know i do really care about my tennis stroke You know, I do have this energy. So I think sometimes we don't see, it's more like a dynamic system. You know, we don't see the direct one-to-one paint picture, golf ball goes in hole. Right, right.
0: But it's the layers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the other way to think of that too is that, you know, Malcolm Gladwell had his thing about 10,000 hours it takes to reach mastery. And so that's roughly 10 years of really devoted practice. And... Okay, well, that sounds like a good guideline, but that's a long time, and that's a lot of effort, and there's always a danger of burning out, so that's why why we make a case for diversity of experience and playfulness along the way, you know, have your core sport or your core art that you have work at your ten thousand hours of specialization, but mix in some diverse experiences as well to keep you happy <laughs> and keep you engaged yeah. too.
1: Also, yeah. the conversation around deep practice yeah. versus whatever the opposite superficial practice. Right, right. You know, sometimes we have the feeling, and this is again a product of our culture. You know, our mind is a reflection or a fractal of of our culture. Right. You know, so if our culture is, you have 25 tabs up on your, you know, your, your, (laughs) your your screen, then that spills into the way that you practice your, your golf putt. Right. Right. You know, so we can start to, again, all these grander concepts and principles can start to relate into that, the better stroke thing. But again, it's more of a roundabout type way, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so uh, do you have any thoughts on, on honing
0: in your practice? Well, it depends whether we're talking about you know, building high performance in a single domain mm-hmm. or trying to live a more complete and whole life. Yeah. You know, those are two different objectives. And mm-hmm. um, they can definitely coexist. But I think it's good to have both. I mean, it's really good for people and their bodies to get a sense of mastery at something. And that means practice and sets and reps and so on develop that sense of mastery that empowerment that comes with mastery and then the diversity as well Um, you you find that sweet spot and then then you're good yeah yeah
1: do they both play off of each other does one make the other stronger i think so
0: yeah yeah i know that's that's really been true for my life i mean my specialties were were martial arts and then rock climbing and uh, you you set them aside for a little while, and then you go out and play with a, in another field, yep. and then you come back refreshed, and yeah the i think the
1: last thing i so i had a kind of an interesting existential thing where i, I used to identify with rock climbing as being like a part of my masculinity or you know yeah, yeah whatever yeah. you know <laughs> it's like i am quite i'd always have the carabiner on my belt buckle <laughs> my, you know whatever it's like totally like lived in boulder colorado right right the whole thing and then i kind of just started doing other stuff i got more into like dance and volleyball and like right. other things and i had kind of this existential moment of like almost like losing my 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 manhood or something like there was this thing of like if i'm not a climber like who am right, i right 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 have you experienced anything like that oh totally i mean th- <laughs> i think that's it's like, that's like a climbing thing
0: <laughs> well I, I think any <laughs> athlete well, you know once you start to age and then you can't perform at quite the high level and it's like it's not just your body that's changed but your sense of identity has changed that's too it. and that can be a really wonderful thing it's a, it's a challenge and it, it it's not always welcome <laughs> But now you get to try on a new identity, hmm. and why not? You know, um, different f- seasons of life call for different kinds of identities. Yeah. So. Do
1: you have a sense of your identity right now?
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I like to think of myself as a teacher and a writer, and I'm I'm trying to change the cultural conversation about the human experience and the body, and hmm. so you know, I can I can have that identity for a while. And that may change. Cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. All right, we got to wrap up. We got to go do some do some body juggling or, or yeah, yeah, whatever the heck we're gonna do. Um, where do people find you? Or I, th- I would highly recommend getting oh, the book Exuberant Animals. ExuberantAnimal.com, animal. yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's the book as well.
0: I read it years that's ago. One of the books. Yeah, yeah. I, I've there's several books, but uh, the most recent one is called The Art. Of the Art is Long, and that has to do with uh, our relationship to the planetary. Crisis that we're in. Say it again. The, the, the art is long. The art is long. Yeah. I yeah. need to get that immediately. Yeah, that's a that's a riff on Hippocrates when he talked about the challenge of medical right. um, healthcare is uh, the art is long and the life is short.
1: I can't wait to read it. <laughs> good, good. Cool. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. anything else. Final closing f- places um, to go or
0: no? Um, just find exuberantanimal.com and then. Cool. Uh, Look me up and we can talk more. Thank you, spokesman. Yeah,
1: really yeah. appreciate it.
0: Align Podcast.
1: Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Some ways that you can support this podcast: one of which you can pick up an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band, comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case, and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at aligntherapy.com and. And also on Amazon.com um, I wanted to thank once again Health IQ for supporting this podcast. Health IQ is a life insurance company that focuses towards people that are taking care of their bodies so any type of athlete folks that are paying attention to nutrition pretty much anybody listening to this podcast uh, they focus on lowering rates for you because you deserve it. They get up to 33% lower rates than the standard you can see if you qualify at healthiq.com slash align. That's health IQ as in the letters IQ.com slash align. If you're a healthy individual and you got a family or, or some folks that you want to know that they're taking care of, if you're not around, that's the way to do it. Healthiq.com slash align. Um, thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap through that link we get percentage of it costs you nothing and i think that's enough thank you guys so much for reviews on itunes thank you for listening thank you for supporting have a beautiful rest of your day Pow.